Welcome, welcome to Let's Talk Diaspora. Um, we are on episode, I am not even sure what number. Bud, do you know what number we're on? <laughs> We've lost track, Rebecca, but today the topic, we know the topic, we may not know the number, but today we're going to talk about discipleship and specifically short-term discipleship. And you may be thinking, well, what, what is the tension? What is the the rub in discipleship? I think everyone would say we need to disciple new believers. Rebecca, what what becomes kind of the tension or um, conflict, maybe a strong word, that we see in different camps or views of discipleship? Well, I think some of the hot topics with discipleship are, you know, what to even begin discipling um, believers with how fast um, you need to be discipling believers, um, how quick do you get them into a church um, setting or some type of church piece. Those are some of the hot topics that I think um, can create some tension. How about you, bud? Anything that I've forgotten? I think just, um, you know, we're talking about the diaspora context. So if you are working with diaspora people, that means most likely you're kind of background or church legacy is from an established church. And we're talking about pressing into segments of population where a church doesn't exist. We bring a lot of baggage to the table and we want to replicate the way that we were discipled without ever asking the question, is that the best way in this context? And so I I think even mode and method becomes a little bit of, of tension because for most of us, we were discipled in the context of a church and it was very much knowledge-based, right? We did a Bible study, we read this, and and not saying those things are, are bad, but really boiling down what is the essence of discipleship And so I think you have this tension of this kind of existing structure, educational based discipleship, which is which is not wrong, but some would say is maybe not the best. And then the on the other side is you you maybe get something that oftentimes is referred to as uh, obedience based discipleship, which I think there's a lot of health in that idea. But the the far other ditch is it becomes legalistic. It becomes. you know, not not graceful. It becomes too rigid in the other direction. So I think that's kind of the camps that we see. And the question I really want us to think about is specifically in a diaspora context, if the person is coming from an unreached people group, that if there's no historical Christian faith in their in their background or lineage, that we have to recognize there there must be urgency in discipleship. And what. So what do you mean about urgency? What do you think, I mean, what does that consist of? So that means one immediate. So like that's the idea of, of urgency is like, this is really important. It's really important quickly. So I would say immediate discipleship is urgency, but urgency also means, so like if you think your house is on fire, that means there's urgency and you want to grab the tools that's going to accomplish the most good of putting the fire out. And when we think of a new believer, one, we have to like approach it like, hey, this house is on fire. Maybe it's not the best analogy, but stick with me. 
we we have to go quick, but we may not like go get our our little kid's sand pail to throw water on it. There may be a better tool for that need. And so I think how that applicably applies is for a new believer, yes, we could put them in a study on the book of Jonah and and that would be okay, but like are there better tools that addresses the burning issue? in that believer at that point, like if they're from a Muslim background, persecution, um, perseverance, baptism, prayer, like more concrete. That's why we were talking about short-term discipleship and why the urgency is around getting kind of the key tenets of the faith um, in the DNA of the new disciple. And I would even go further because this is how I apply it, is thinking through what are, if, if I was a pastor, what are the things I think a good church member should be doing, right? Uh, so things like prayer, reading the Bible, hearing from the Holy Spirit, sharing their faith, being baptized, giving, worshiping, like those sort of things. Because when we think of what is a fully, I don't even say fully, what is a maturing disciple? A maturing disciple gets into a church and is contributing. But I would even say this is attention as well. I've, I've actually had a lot of pushback on this idea, but I would venture to to say that I think it's best to do the short-term discipleship with a new believer from a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, seeker background before they're assimilating into a church. So, and why do you say that? Why do you feel like that's important? You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> That's what this is all about. To talk about that uncomfortable middle. Well, I just got a little un- uncomfortable middle. I just got a little uncomfortable because I'm going to have to say what I believe. Uh, there's a Nigerian friend of mine. He says, what comes to my mind comes out of my mouth. And so I'll just take his cue on this. I think a lot of our churches don't do a good job with discipleship, especially with new believers, because most of our churches, there are you know, exceptions. If you're a pastor and you're listening, you're probably doing a great job because you're listening to this, you're desiring to grow, you're doing this, but that's not always the case, especially for new believers. Most churches aren't really well suited to take them from zero to 10. They're, they're helping people get from 95 to a hundred, like not saying it's not happening, not saying discipleship's not an emphasis, but the majority of the people in most churches in the West are just at a different phase of maturity in their discipleship journey. Well, I tend to agree with you in that. So um, as we talk about this short-term discipleship, um, what is important? What do you? What do we feel like is important in that short-term discipleship? I've, I feel like I've heard some of the things, but um, where do you start? Yeah, so I think I, I don't want to prescribe because we've talked a lot about the role of research and understanding people. It, it's it's context driven to an extent, right? And so what I mean by that is if someone is in a context where they're going to experience persecution, persecution is something to care, uh, cover early on. If they're not in that context, it's it's less important. But if you go to Acts chapter two, verses like, what is it? 36 or 37 to the end of the chapter 47, you see what the early believers were doing. And I pull from that and say, these are the things 
that are important. So if you think about, I'll just kind of go through from my memory. I'm not, not reading this, but you know, Peter stands up and he's proclaiming the kingdom. So I think that is important, having people know how to proclaim the kingdom. So evangelism is something that I cover early in short-term discipleship. It says that, you know, they were cut to the heart and then he said, brothers, what must we do? And it says that they repented and they were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit. So we cover repentance, like make sure they understand what repentance is, baptism, Holy Spirit. And then it says this promise is for not just you, but for your kids, so on and so forth. And you get to 42 and it says, then they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, which is what's driving all of this to the fellowship. So we talk about that to the breaking of bread which it mentions it twice. So I think one of those is referring to the Lord's Supper or communion uh, to the prayers. And then it says, so we cover all of that, pulling out, you know, maybe seven to 10 that's going to fall in this short-term discipleship category. And it says many signs and wonders were being done by the hands of, or by, by the, by the apostles. So um, especially if you're from a more charismatic background, you're going to want to cover that. It's there. We can't gloss over it. It says that they gave with glad and generous hearts and they worshiped and had favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. So I just take and look at that passage and say, I want to pull for this person. What is the most important thing for now? Like what is the tool that's going to, to accomplish someone, not get them to full maturity, that's often what we think, but we're talking about short-term discipleship. What are the key tenets of the faith? Um, also, it's not part of that, but typically it ends up somewhere as we talk about our identity in Christ. That's important. So that's a little bit of a picture of what what I would want to have inside there and where I'm pulling it from. That's that's my that's my source. I'm not going to, oh, you know, so and so wrote a book about discipleship, and that's where I'm going to. I'm going to the Bible, which I think that's. I, th- I think that's an um, important piece to remember. I know for me, um, if you go to scripture too, it's easily reproducible. I think that's another thing that we have to think about with discipleship is something that someone else can then teach someone else as they have become believers. Um, so going to scripture and of course them seeing scripture from, you know, from seeing it themselves from scripture and not just you telling them these are the things. Um, so I love that great point of going to scripture. It, it also, I know you said not to bring, you know, not to go to a book, but there is um, something that we use when we were overseas that I always tend to go to, to even begin the process. One is doing that more discovery Bible study, um, as you said, and going through specific scriptures together. I think that's an important part of discipleship. But um, a resource that we use is called the Seven Commands of Christ, um, which goes through many of those topics that you um, talked about in the scriptures that go along with them. So you can then just look at those topics and those scriptures together. Yeah, that's great. You pointed out some some really key things. And so if we go back to scripture, you know, Paul talks about, um, you know, passing on, he's talking to Timothy, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So we have Paul, Timothy, faithful men who will be able to teach others. So you see this idea of generational discipleship. And it's not just that that one verse, because, 
you know, Paul writing again about Timothy in 1 Corinthians, he says, this is why I sent you, Timothy, uh, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of all my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So the way I read that, it says, remind you of all my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So it's almost like Paul is saying, I have this um, package that I deliver to all the churches. And you may say like, that sounds like you're trying to take a Western mindset and put it into a non-Western context. And you could be right. But what I think is the principle, and it may not look exactly like you and I would think, but I think the principle is, is it was simple. It was reproducible. That's the only way that Paul could say something like that is he had a set idea of, um, these are the key tenets that I'm going to teach while I'm there. And we also have to consider that there are different times that we have with people in their discipleship journey. Paul had different times with different churches. So I think too, we have to think about uh, the time that we have. So if you are in a refugee corridor where people are coming through quickly, um, you may have to ask, what does it look like for me to disciple a new believer in five days? because that could be all the time that you have with them. Um, If you have five weeks, what does that look like? If you have five months, what does that look like? What does it look like if you have five hours? So I think it gets a little um, confusing, but if we have already an idea, maybe we have a tool in our pocket and we come upon a situation, we can just pull that tool out and say, this is the best tool for this situation. And, And having some you know, spirit-led discernment in that as well. So Rebecca, you mentioned uh, Discovery Bible Study. What what can you tell us about Discovery Bible Study? Because this is, this is something that I, I think is a best practice, uh, but tell us about it. So Discovery Bible Study, the main thing, it starts with Scripture. Um, so you all start on the same page and you're reading directly from Scripture. Um, and then with Discovery Bible Study, you read directly from scripture, a passage. I mean, you could start with Genesis one if you wanted, but you read from that passage and you read it together. Um, and you read it a couple of times, um, together. Um, or maybe if you're in a context where you have non-readers, you, um, you repeat what you've heard and you tell a story that from scripture But then you ask questions um, and these same questions you ask every time you go through, you know, what what do I see about God in this story? What do I see about man in this story or people in this story? Are there commands or is there something God's trying to wants us to follow in this story? So there are a number of questions and those questions can vary depending on what, you know, you um, want to ask. But and it can you can add questions as well to a passage, but you do start with a, a set basic um, set of um, questions. So it's really simple and easy. And again, for non-readers as well as readers, I think it's important. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm an advocate for Discovery Bible Studies. Um, once it gets to a discipleship, it, sometimes it takes on different names. You can use it with unbelievers. You can use it with new believers. You can use it with mature believers. But the beautiful thing is, is it is simple. Uh, I remember I've been a believer, I guess, 11 years, 11 and a half years. I remember very early on as a believer getting trained in Discovery Bible Studies. And I, I made these little uh, laminated bookmarks 
And in my life, I've probably started, I don't know, a hundred Bible studies. Some of them lasted, you know, two weeks, some of them lasted two months. But I, what my prayer is, is they were equipped in the process. They had a tool that if they desired, they could go and they could replicate that somewhere else. And that was always the encouragement. Hey, do you think you can do this at your workplace? Hey, do you think you can do this with your family? Um, and p- part of that is kind of contrary to our our church structure in a sense where we want to, for lack of a better word, control and command what happens inside of our churches and what inside of our networks and our organizations I would say it's not a drawback. Some people will see it as a drawback is whenever you have something that's simple and reproducible, uh, you don't have control over it because it, it can take on a life of its own and go places that you would never go. And you just have to be totally okay with it and actually be okay with not knowing what's happening and just trusting, hey, this process is good. It's based on the word of God. Uh, it's not based off you know a teacher. It's not based off one individual. It's a group of people coming together. And um, people always say, oh, there's no there's no qualified teacher. What keeps heresy out? Well, if you have multiple people and a few of the at least a few of those people have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The, the Bible says that he will lead us in all truth. My question or pushback would be, how do you keep heresy out of that one individual who is is the the, the gateway to people hearing from the Bible. I would say there's more, you're more prone to find heresy through one individual who's the gateway of biblical teaching versus multiple people gathering around the Bible. And I mean, as you say that, I I just think about the times I've had discussions over scripture and the things that I learned from hearing from someone else, or it makes me think, you know, even to go study it myself. Um, So I do agree that you know, a number of people coming together. But that, again, is one of those uncomfortable middles. Um, There was something else I was going to say about... um, Another thing that I like about Discovery Bible Study is one of the pieces of discipleship is um, learning how to have a relationship with the Lord. Well, in Discovery Bible Study, if you're doing that with a group, you're learning how to look at Scripture, and you don't have to have another you know, another book or another Bible study or anything like that, you can get in scripture and look at it for yourself. Um, And it really begins even to start talking about that, you know, learning how to have that relationship with Christ through scripture. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Um, Beyond just the discovery Bible study there, there is um, it, it uses discovery Bible study, but it's beyond what we've just talked about is the method I use in, in discipleship. And it's, it's three parts. It's a look back, a look up, and a look forward. And the look back part, so this is kind of like a small group gathering. A look back is you're looking back at the previous week and you're asking each other, hey, how's your week been? Um, hey, what can we celebrate together? Hey, what can, we, what can we pray about? What burdens are you carrying? What, what can we as a group maybe minister to you as an individual? I remember one time, we were in uh, a group. This was several years ago. Uh, we were working with like drug addicts and and you know single moms and like a lot of like physical brokenness. Like we're all spiritually broken. But this lady just said, "Hey, my washer broke, and I don't I don't know what to do. I don't have a car. I can't drive to the laundromat." She had two little girls. Someone else in the group said, "We just bought a washer. 
you can have ours. And it's just so amazing to see God work in that context of as you know a leader, you hear that and you immediately feel the burden. And I think that's why we have a lot of leaders burning out is they're carrying way too many burdens. The church was designed to have the burden spread out. Yes, we're carrying one another's burdens because that's what the scripture says, but I don't think it's supposed to be on one person or you know six people. It's it's spread out through our brothers and sisters. So look back. Hey, how's your week been? Meeting needs. We're praying. And then we're holding each other accountable. We're looking back and saying, from our previous time we met, what did we say we were going to do to obey the scripture? And then the look up is what Rebecca, you described as discovery Bible study. We have a you know a passage of scripture that we're reading, we're reading, we're narrating, or we're listening to, we're asking inductive questions. And then the third part is we're looking forward. When we're looking forward, we're setting goals. And and some people feel really uncomfortable with this, but I encourage people to set a Bible reading goal. I encourage people to set a prayer goal. I encourage people to set a goal for sharing the gospel. I encourage people to set a goal for training someone else in a tool or resource that we've trained them in. And so then that look forward part is what circles back to the look back. And we say, hey, how did it go? You said you were going to read your Bible uh, you know, you're going to read the book of John this week. How'd it go? Not in a legalistic way, but if you didn't do it, how can we can encourage you to do it? How can we better equip you? And it's that pattern of discipleship of, hey, we're setting goals, we're hearing from the Lord, we're obeying the Lord. And that's where you get this idea of obedience-based discipleship is we're, we're, we're not just being hearers of the word, we're being doers of the word. So, but where is there a place that we can find resources like this um, and things to help us in the short-term discipleship? Yeah, there are some websites we can put in the show notes. Uh, I don't know them off the top of my head. I know there are many. We'll put a couple different ones that give you the process. Um, then also there are websites that have what we call lesson sets. Uh, so sometimes you you need to, maybe you have someone who's been a believer a few years and there is a topic that they're struggling with. Sometimes those these lesson sets are topical. Sometimes they are like what Rebecca you referenced, the seven commands of Christ. It's something specific for short-term discipleship for different contexts, Muslim background, Hindu background. Uh, and then it also will have things like moving into midterm, long-term discipleship. Typically, when we get to long-term discipleship, what I encourage people to do is just start going through books of the Bible. Uh, typically, the first book I encourage people to do is Mark. Because it's it's pretty quick to action. It's action oriented. You, we want to immerse people in the gospel, but that that's typically where we point people. And so we'll put some of those things in in the show notes. I think one other thing, Rebecca, I want us to talk about is is this this kind of tension of whose responsibility is it to disciple a new believer. So who who would you say whose responsibility is it? Well, I definitely believe if possible, the one that's, you know, shared with that person and um, maybe been there as they've come to know the Lord, but any brother and sister in Christ that's um, around them, I would think it would be the responsible party. I don't think it's any, a pastor or anything like that, but just a, bro- a brother and sister in Christ. Yeah, that is I, my first thought. <laughs> I think that's, that's right. You know, if we say that we believe in the priesthood of all believers, 
then every single born again, spirit filled believer has the tools and equipment to disciple more people. Discipleship, uh, you know, the Great Commission is a command to all Christians, not um, just a few. And it's that that is the key of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples, not not converts. Now, some of you who are listening, praise God, you are amazing evangelists. But I got to push on you every once in a while and say, brother, brother, sister, you you need to slow down and you need to be involved in discipleship or at least feel the stewardship of handing that off. I've seen so many people who are just evangelists and they they are going and someone, you know, prays to receive Christ and it's like, all right, go find a Bible believing church. And that's that's it. And so that's why if I come back to this idea of urgency of discipleship, especially in the diaspora. This hasn't been super diaspora focused. So let's bring it to the diaspora. If if just an American I share with my neighbor and I don't really, you know, care to disciple that person, I could say, hey, here's here's 14 churches you could go to in one mile. Go, go get connected to a church. They would they would probably be okay, if I'm honest. Not ideal, they would probably be okay. If a Muslim comes to faith, and I just say, hey, you need to be a part of a Bible-believing church. Uh, the likelihood of them going, one, is not good. Two, if the Holy Spirit just convicts them to go, that church probably is going to have no idea, like, how do I best serve this person? Um, I'll just share one one story, and I'll, I'll leave out some some details for, for anonymity. But this is really what's convicted me recently, like this urgency of discipleship. So in our in our city, there are you know Muslim background believers who are sharing the gospel with Muslims, and we praise God for that. That that is what we want. We're seeing people who who have come to faith from that background sharing because that's the most fruitful way to do it. But the model that they were discipled was a Western model, very knowledge based, very preacher based. And so this brother will have someone come to faith, baptize them, doesn't start a group, but about once every two months, he will visit them. And I'm, I'm air quoting, he will, he will preach to them and fill them up. There's a lot of problems with that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm walking with this brother in this and just trying to help him see um, this, this sister from a Muslim background does not know how to read the Bible for herself. She does not know how to pray. She does not have any community. She has no accountability. And when you start saying those things out loud and you understand that, yes, she may be in the kingdom, but the, the, the enemy, the devil still wants to destroy her. He wants to put doubts in her mind. And if she's not reading the Bible for herself or praying, you know, this is how you see people who make professions of faith fall back into their previous religion. And, you know, if, I'm not the judge if the profession was 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 real or not, but I do believe there are people who have professed Christ, who are born again, who have the Holy Spirit, but because of the deception of enemy of the enemy, because of lack of discipleship, they put the hijab back on. They're back in their Muslim community. They may still pray to Jesus, but they are they live their life as a baby believer, their entire life. And I don't think that's what God intends for any of us. Which, again, you're just really emphasizing the importance of having someone come alongside and disciple each individual. And it's not just the job of the church, whatever 
if they become part of a church, but even some of these, they're finding a church, which I think is going to be a whole nother topic for another episode of us talking about, you know, that church, um, finding that comfortable middle with um, church in the diaspora setting. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know that I can emphasize it enough. Um, let's go back to the the story I just told. So this brother had a model that he saw. He was a first generation believer. Um, the model he saw is what he wants to replicate. So to see that change, it's going to be a season of deconstructing that mindset. So even whenever I think about urgency of discipleship, yes, there's urgency in discipleship, but I think there's also urgency in the way you're discipling new believers, because maybe you don't have a church for this Arab person or this Pakistani person. Discipleship, how you do that is important because they are going to try to replicate what you do with them. And if you invite them to church and you invite them to Sunday school, even if their English is great, that's what they're going to try to replicate. And if you think of their segment of population, even though sometimes we have these people who are kind of anomalies, they're bicultural people. Yes, they're Pakistani, but they're also very Western. They they could come to our churches. But is that the best way to see the gospel go through their community? Is if he or she replicates that in, in how they're trying to reach out to other Pakistanis. And I think that's why we have to look and say, our discipleship has to be reproducible and it has to be reproducing because an idea can be reproducible, but it never reproduce. Most of our churches are not reproducing. They're not even reproducing disciples. They're, they're, they're adding people. There, there's no multiplication. And if we just understand the, the weight of the status of the world, not even the world, just look at the United States, Canada, Western Europe. Christianity is in uh, decline mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, I'm not I'm not troubled by this because Christ is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. But the reality is, I think our model is our, our prevailing model of church that we've had for a couple centuries. Like you're starting to see the cracks in the facade and saying there, there is there is a better way, not not deconstructing that, but building on top of what's already been laid is I think the important thing that we have to think about with discipleship and in our existing structures, they're not bad. So don't hear me say these things are bad. I'm just saying, can we think about, is, is there a faithful way that takes into mind context of the person? Is it reproducible? Am, am I pointing people to a person or, or am I pointing people to a Bible? Is I think, I think that's the key, Rebecca. Well, and, and again, what I hear you saying is the modeling reproducing so they are able to do it themselves again, um, staying focused on scripture, but who we are looking at in scripture. So yeah, I, there's so many things here. I think this is another one of those topics we could go on and talk in another episode about um, because there's so much here. So I do want to encourage everyone to look at the um, notes that will follow this episode um, and to reach out to us. Yeah, a topic that I, um, if you didn't pick up on, I have a little bit of passion about. I have a little bit of conviction. And um, if you're listening and you're like, hey, can someone help show me this? 
please reach out, look at the resources. We want, we want to be a resource to you. If you're a pastor, similarly, maybe God is stirring in your heart, um, just a different way. I don't even say a better way, just a different way uh, that looks more like what we see um, modeled in the New Testament. Uh, brother or sister, there are many who are traveling this road, and you can you can find a community of people who are uh, not getting it all right. Sometimes we're failing forward, but we're really just pursuing Jesus and his mission um, of seeing his kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you for listening to Let's Talk Diaspora. Make sure you subscribe, share this if you found it helpful. Uh, that will help more people get this information. And uh, we believe that this, this is uh, a resource. So if we have 22 people listening, uh, if you send it to one person, we'll have 23 people listening. Rebecca, we don't, we don't actually know how many people listen, but thank you for listening. Haradi Jews are some of the most unreached people in the world. But God is moving in this community, and we sense that the time is ripe to increase our efforts to reach them with the good news. The key to this outreach is prayer. We invite you to journey with us into the world of the Haradium and to meet Haradi men and women, as well as the believers who serve them, and to join us in the critical work of prayerful intercession. Start learning and praying with us today with a free digital download, or you can request a free copy at upgnorthamerica.com forward slash resources.